Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to Luke's second great work, the Act of the Apostles, where we are going to be looking together at chapter 2, verses 14 through 39. We will be focusing primarily on 14 through 24 this week. However, for context, I will be reading the entirety of Peter's Pentecost sermon, which goes through verse 39. The book of Acts chapter, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's the book of Acts 2, 14 through 39. You can find it on page 1070 in your pew Bibles and on page 10 in your journal copy, at least beginning on page 10 in your journal copy of the book of Acts. Last week we witnessed the fruition of God's great promise to pour out his spirit upon his people thus equipping them for the mission of the great king and his kingdom. And as these fledgling followers of Jesus Christ have gathered and are now together in an upper room to pray and to worship, to teach and to learn, to trust Almighty God together, we're told they hear the great sound of a, a rushing wind. as the very spirit of God himself comes upon them manifesting in tongues of fire lighting just above their heads. And you remember undoubtedly that the people then moved out from that upper room into the crowded streets of Jerusalem, bustling as it were with day of Pentecost celebration and sacrifices. And these people empowered by the Holy Spirit begin to extol the wonders of God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they do it in the languages of all of those who are standing in their midst. People from all over the land, people from different tongues and tribes, they all hear the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in their native languages. They could hear they could even begin to understand what was being said. I mentioned to you last Sunday morning that there were three things that we need to be considering as this scene on a crowded street in the middle of Jerusalem begins to sort of supernaturally unfold. I'm not going to rehash it all again this morning. However, our text this morning flows directly out of this event, and so I think it's going to be helpful for you and I to keep these things at the very front of our minds as we begin to unpack Peter's sermon. So first, I pointed out to you the significance or the weight of what is actually transpiring here. This moment in time is truly significant for the body of Christ. This very event marked the dawning of a new era in redemptive history. It is an era that you and I still find ourselves living in today. Our risen king has ascended to his throne at the right hand of the Father and now is pouring out his spirit upon his people so they can carry out the mission of taking the glorious message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the very ends of the earth. 
the risen and ascended king, is building his kingdom. And he's building it through the spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel. That day is beginning in earnest here. It's these some 120 followers, including the 12 apostles, are obediently waiting to receive from the gracious hand of God the promised gift of his spirit. This is the moment that Isaiah prophesied when the barren wilderness would become a fruitful field. The gospel will go forth from here God's messengers, his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will take it to the world from here as God calls his people home through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our text this morning, we will see Peter begin to enlarge upon this picture. The second thing we looked at last week was the day itself, what the day of Pentecost was truly all about. And seeing the way that God was equipping his church. Luke tells us the day had fully come. He talked about what that meant. It was time. Something was about to happen. Something big. Something in prophecy was about to be fulfilled after hundreds of talked about similarities between what took place at Sinai where the law was given to God's people and written upon tablets of stone. However, now with the giving of the Spirit of God, the law was being written upon the hearts of his people. They are being prepared to be witnesses of the grace of Almighty God and the amazing salvation that they've been given in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to gain understanding in the things of God. Which we've already begun to glimpse as Peter stood up in this group and applied two verses from two psalms to the very situation that they had found themselves in. Judas was of course gone and they needed to bring the number of the apostles back up to 12. Together they trust God for clarity for his gracious providence, and Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. Peter was beginning to see clearly after sitting at the feet of the resurrected Savior for 40 days following his resurrection, leading up to the point of his ascension. Again, beloved, I trust that you see the weight of this very moment in redemptive history. Peter will expound more upon it in the text that we will look at this morning. And finally, we consider the result of that event, or this event. Many who are blind will see. That day alone, we are told, 3,000 people bowed before King Jesus and found life for union with him by faith. 3,000. There were those who, of course, saw it as foolishness, who consequently mocked this spectacle on the Jerusalem streets, those who remained in the just judgment for their sin, and then there were those who ran towards the truth that was being proclaimed and, of course, found life in and through Jesus Christ. 
Beloved, again, I can't say it enough. This is the age that we're living in. The gospel is still being proclaimed by the spirit-empowered witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still doing the work of separation. It is still sharper than any two-edged swords. Foolish ones are still rejecting Jesus and perishing. Those whom God in his mercy calls are still running to Jesus. In our text this morning, Peter will stand once again and bring even more clarity to these things. And I hope to point out to you three things here, just from the opening portion of this sermon that Peter is preaching. I want us to understand Peter's definitive declaration here that indeed the last days have come. That I would like for us to see and consider not only the weight of this event, but to truly understand the significance of Almighty God pouring His Spirit out upon His people. Then I would like to look at the work of that Holy Spirit and understand what the Apostle Peter wants us to see here regarding that work. So the last days are here. The Spirit comes upon all the people of God and they will proclaim the wonderful truth of the gospel until Jesus the King returns to make all things new. And the wonderful gospel will continue to do the work of separation, calling his servants home to the kingdom and bringing judgment to those who remain in darkness for eternity. So if you've not yet done so, turn with me again to Acts chapter 2 and follow along as I read verses 14 through 39. And again, I would remind you our focus will primarily be 14 through 24 this morning. Lord willing, we'll pick up 25 to 39 next week. Hear now the word of our Lord. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and, Jeru and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in my they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see in here. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord sit to my the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your faces. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. It says the word of the Lord, may he always bless the reading of Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful again to come before your word and to sit under the preaching of your word. We pray that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word, Father. We pray that you would give us ears that hear and eyes that see these things so that we may be transformed by them more and more for your Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, the crowd has a mixed reaction to this spectacle that they are seeing unfold before them on the busy streets of Jerusalem. Though we know that there will certainly be a very positive reaction, Luke points out to us the negative reaction of at least some of those in this crowd. They hear and they see the message of the kingdom being proclaimed in their own native tongues and they begin quickly to search for some rational explanation. Of course they come up with one. They ignore everything they know about Jesus the Christ. They ignore everything they've seen and heard with their own eyes and ears. And they say... These are full of new work. I know what this is. This is drunkenness. They're full of new wine. They have drunk themselves into a 
chaotic stupor, and that's why they're out here doing this and not making any sense at all. That's why there is all this incoherent blathering about the greatness of their God and all of these supposed languages. They're drunk. This is drunk. And we see in our text that Peter stands up to address this situation. We have seen this emerging leadership role for Peter already beginning to take shape as he had addressed his fellow followers of Jesus just prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So now we see Peter once again stand up in their midst. And I think we need to pause here. We need to ask the question, what has happened to Peter? Beloved, have you, have you ever considered it? Think about it with me just for a moment before we begin to dig into the content of what he's going to say. What happened to him? Do you know why I would even ask such a question? These are the very ones who led Peter to do the unthinkable. In the face of very real hostility coming towards him, perhaps from this crowd, or at the very least, a crowd very much like this one. Peter gave in to his overwhelming sense of fear. And in an act of complete cowardice, Peter, in the face of dangerous opposition to Jesus, vehemently denied to a crowd like this one, ever even knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is again. The very center of these people's attention caught up again in the middle of yet another disruption in Jerusalem during a high and holy day. And we cannot afford to miss the hostility that is in this crowd. Beloved, these are not those who are warm and fuzzy about Jesus Christ and his followers. This is the holy city of Jerusalem. And here's Peter with the spotlight illuminating him and these followers of Christ before this hostile. The crowd says, oh, these fools, drunk already. And gone is the fear that drove Peter deep into cowardice. Gone also is the impetuous hostility that we see from time to time with Peter. He doesn't get very much of it. He does not draw out his sword like he did when they came to arrest Jesus and were told that Peter cut off the right ear of the servant of the high priest. No, look at what Peter does. Verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, He calls attention to himself. You see the change, right? He doesn't hide. He does not try in vain to just not make eye contact with anyone. He does not try to go unnoticed. Something in Peter has changed. Why? Beloved, because Peter is a witness to the resurrection. He has sat at the feet 
of Jesus Christ during this 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension. He has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what faith does. It transforms the one who recognizes his deep and desperate need for salvation. Peter no longer questions whether his macho loyalty will be enough for Jesus. It's not. Peter knows it's not. He knows his own frame. He is a coward. He is a sinner. He simply does not measure him up. However, he's also not his own. Peter knows it. He's been bought and paid for. He belongs to his Lord and Savior, body and soul. He knows that his Lord is triumphant. He has been raised from death. He has ascended to his throne. And because the triumphant risen king is upon his throne, reigning, moving all things according to his perfect holy will, Peter need not fear any longer any of his circumstances. So, beloved, I ask you this morning, do you see this about your own life and purpose? What has you worried this morning? What are you scared of this morning? You are not your own. You belong to King Jesus. What could ever thwart his perfect so Peter, knowing what he knows, addresses this crowd with the truth. First, he raises his voice so as to be heard, and then he points out their foolishness. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. In other words, listen up. Listen to what I'm going to say to you. Listen because this is important. This is the stuff of life and death. Verse 15. These are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. Most commentators believe the third hour to be something like nine in the morning. They are certainly not inebriated at nine. It's a foolish rationalization in the face of what has already clearly been seen. Even now they can still see it. No, these men are clearly not drunk. This, Peter says, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 of the book bearing his name. Peter's telling them, that's not what this is. This is not drunkenness. This is prophecy, and you know it. You know this prophecy. This isn't new. In fact, it's what we have been waiting for. This is the fulfillment 
of long-awaited prophecy, anticipated prophecy. Peter, the impetuous, sometimes cowardly, uneducated fisherman, once again is doing the work of the biblical theologian. And he's seeing the hand of God in doing what his word said that he would do throughout the course of history. So he points them toward the word of God. He does not try to rationalize anything. Beloved, we need to see what he does here. Perhaps you've already flipped to Joel and you've noticed a slight alteration of wording in his prophecy as he actually spoke it and as Peter quotes it here. Do you notice that? Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. And Peter says, and it shall come to pass in the last days that I shall pour out my spirit. Peter is declaring here before God and all of these witnesses the significance of the last days. And he's announcing very clearly that they had now begun in earnest. You understand? Peter says, listen, this is the sign. Do you see it? Joel said, afterwards, after what? After the Messiah has come. After Jesus comes to begin his work of the restoration of all things. After Jesus had begun to heal the brokenness caused by the sin curse. After he had made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the demons to flee from his presence. After he had himself paid the price for our sin, receiving upon himself the full penalty of our own law-breaking, the wrath of God being poured out upon him. After he comes, then this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It begins the last days. Peter is saying, listen, this is that. We are in the last days under the guidance of the very Spirit of God driving us to the revealed Messiah. Do you see? Until when? The last days until what? What is left? What is still to come? Until he comes again to make final bring final judgment to the enemies of God and to bring eternal joy and peace to the servants of his kingdom. Until he comes again to make all things new. The days aren't lost. That's what Peter is saying. And it's a, a double declaration of sorts. First, he is certainly declaring what we've already pointed out. These are indeed the last days, but that's not it. He's also declaring rather indirectly that Jesus is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. The last days tell us that he has indeed already come, that he has died, resurrected, and ascended. And now King Jesus is upon his throne, reigning at the right hand for eternity. This is the day that Joel prophesied. The day that Joel longed for. 
The day that all of Israel was supposed to be longing for. The day that the Spirit of God was poured out. This was supposed to be the hope of Israel. Peter says to them, this that you are calling drunkenness is that. The last days of and look, it's not something that the people of God should have been dreading or dreading now. All of creation is now waiting as a consequence of this for the return of the king. Craning its collective neck towards heaven, waiting, looking, longing for King Jesus to come and to make all things new. This is not drunkenness. They should have known it. Beloved, do you understand that this is not just a novel idea here with Peter? Peter points to Joel and he says, no, you have to see it. Joel was waiting for it. He was longing for it. He said it was coming hundreds of years ago. He prophesied this very moment in time. But it goes even further back than Joel, doesn't it? This anticipation did not begin with Joel. You may have taken notice of our Old Testament reading this morning. We read together Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, the people of Israel had once again been given over to feeling sorry for themselves. Which of course always led them to groan. We can relate to that, right? They were sick to death of manna. They were so far gone in their self-pity that were told that they stood weeping at the tents, the doors of their tents, lamenting that they had things so much better in Egypt. And Moses gets fed up. And he does some grumbling of his own. These kind of things are contagious, right? And so Moses, in his own self-pity, has this exchange with the Almighty where he asked God if he would just kill him if this was going to be his lot in life. Forever dealing with the incessant grumbling of these people, Moses says death would be a mercy. God mercifully then directs Moses to gather the 70 elders and to bring them to the temple. And God tells Moses that he's going to take and he's going to give to these elders some of the very spirit that he had placed on Moses so that they would be able to help him in caring for this stiff mountain. And so it happened. But in the tabernacle that day, only 68 men stood to receive of the spirit of God. Two of them, we are told, remained in the camp. Eldad and me, Dad. And they too, not in the tabernacle, in the camp, they too receive of the Spirit of God and they began to prophesy in the camp. Someone sees it and they run and they tell Moses and Joshua. Joshua is incensed. He is offended. And so he demands 
that Moses do something about it. He says, Moses, my Lord, for, for, forbid them. Make them stop. And I love how Moses replies. Do you hear what Moses says to them in verse 29? Then Moses said to him, Moses speaking to Joshua, he says, are you zealous for my sake? In other words, Joshua, are you worked up now because you're worried about how this makes me look? Are you worked up for the sake of Moses? And then Moses says something. Something that applies to what we're looking at today. Moses says, oh, that all the people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You understand, Moses longed for this day. This day that Peter, as a student of the word of God, recognizes is the very day that he's in. This is the day. This marks the last days, the beginning of a new anticipation for the people of God. We're no longer waiting for the Messiah to come. The anticipation of God's people is progressive. Do you see that? Moses very clearly looked forward to this day. The prophet Joel, through prophecy, says, Ah, alas, thus saith the Lord, the day is coming. Lord in his mercy has shown me that it's coming and it will mark a new dawn in redemptive history where the work of restoration, the restoration of broken things will continue as the glorious spirit-empowered message of the gospel will do its kingdom work. Peter says the day is here. The last days have begun. Now we anticipate the work of the gospel saving wretches like us while we all eagerly await for the return of our King to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, this final consummation of all things. Uh, do, you, do you get a sense of the weight of what's transpiring here? This is the day. You are witnessing it here in Acts chapter 2, and we all, along with these followers of Christ, are now awaiting the next great thing. The last days have dawned. And now we, like them, watch as the gospel does its work through spirit-empowered messengers preaching the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth. He has not yet come again, but we wait for it. We anticipate it. We don't dread it. Right? Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want you to see, though he has not come, do you see that his winnowing fork is in his hand? Separation is taking place. Wheat and chaff are being sifted out through the proclamation of the gospel. The foolish are even now running headlong into their own condemnation through the rejection of Jesus, the Messiah King. The serpents. The 
servants are running towards the loving arms of Jesus and finding complete rest they're being transformed by the grace of God they're being equipped to do the work of the kingdom and the service of the king through the power of his spirit this is what you are called to in this age and so I ask you brothers and sisters in Christ are you anticipating joyfully anticipating the return of the king How can we know? Are you joyfully serving the King? Are you rejoicing this morning to see your place even here? Is this your place? Is this the most important thing that we do as the bride of Christ here at Peace Reformed Church in Napoleon, Ohio? Ask yourself this morning, what will disturb your peace in this kingdom work? Are you more concerned with things that are not this? Beloved, we must ask one another these questions. Because we are living in this age. The Holy Spirit is actively employed in opening up blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears to the truth of Jesus Christ and what it means to be righteous in Him. Through the God given gift of faith. These are the last days. This is the work of the Spirit to shine like a great beacon upon the glories of Jesus Christ, our King. All of us are employed in this. Did you catch that in the prophecy? Do you notice the scope of this work of the Holy Spirit? God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters, young and old, male and female servants. Did Joel or Moses or Peter, for that matter, happen to miss your particular demographic? I don't think so. Kids, are you listening to the word of God this morning? Luke is addressing you. He's speaking to you this morning. You will speak of the glories of your king. Praise God. It's what his people do in the spirit. It's always been the Holy Spirit. That brings me to one final point here at the outset of this wonderful sermon given by the Apostle Peter. Perhaps you're asking yourself this morning, what do we do? What should I do? How do I get to work in this? How do I make up for all the, the wasted time getting upset over silly peripheral things? How do I get the training I need for this kind of evangelism, this Holy Spirit-fueled evangelism to take place? You understand, Steve, I'm not an eloquent person. 
Is there something I can do to perhaps improve my eloquence? Listen, listen to me. Listen to me this morning. Please do not miss the work and the power of the Holy Spirit here. Trust that all you need is given to you by God himself. The fruit of the Spirit is yours if you indeed belong by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit is equipping you for the kingdom work of this age by making you more loving. More joyful. More peaceful. More patient. More kind. More prone to goodness. More faithful. More gentle. More self-controlled. Is that true? You are being transformed for this. Beloved, we must see the big picture here for the church or we're just going to continue to get annoyed over our own personal bugaboos. Our own traditions, our own sinful expectations of others and their motives. So let's paint this picture just as clearly as we possibly can so far here in the book of Acts. Your resurrected king has thrown down the power of sin, death, and the devil. Not for a moment, but for eternity. It's done. He is and he will always remain triumphant. He has ascended his throne and is reigning for heaven, over heaven and earth for eternity. You are now in his omnipotent hands. You belong to him. There is no better, no safer place for you to be. And while we await his return, which is sure, he has sent his spirit into your heart to do, to accomplish what your flesh never could. He's opening your eyes to Jesus. He's transforming your lives for and through He's filling you with the Spirit's fruit for the sake of the name of Jesus the King. And you can trust Him. And you can eagerly await His coming when He will bring you all the way home. Praise God. One of the podcasts that I regularly listen to I don't talk about podcasts very often. I don't listen to that many of them, but there's one that I do, and it's called Theocast. And I'm sure many of you have probably uh, been familiar with it or you listen to it yourself. They have a slogan that they place on some of their merchandise, and it's this, trust Christ and call now. And I love it. I love it. What are you to do? You are to trust Christ and rest in Him. Trust that the Spirit's work is taking place in and through your life. Go to the Word and be comforted in God's faithfulness. A new day has dawned and we now await the glorious finish. Beloved, do you see it this morning? If you do, then join me in praising our magnificent, merciful, 
all-glorious, all-powerful King this morning, and indeed every day of our lives. Amen.